0: Our passage is right in front of us there. James. Now, <clears throat> while you're turning, I just want to mention, for those of us that have been following the lessons on Sunday morning, uh, we have been and still are in 1 Samuel. However, for those of us that have been following on Sunday morning, if you remember, we were. We started in the epistle to James in, in December of last year. And we had about 15 plus or minus, maybe more lessons in James, but somehow we neglected this one. This is the last section of James. Excellent portion. We look forward to sharing a few meditative thoughts this morning. So uh, that's why we're in it. But Lord willing, we'll be back into Samuel the following uh, Sundays. But we just wanted to get it. I'm not sure, by the way, Jamel Gill, he's not with us today, but he... uh, Organizes the the, the the platform. He's the platform committee here, and he uh, somehow I don't know how he came up with today, but today's the day for the last lesson in James. So anyway, we want to try to do what we can with it. So what we'd like you do, I didn't get the clicker, but if you can just go ahead and hit it, we're going to call up some readers. Now we have just a tiny little outline here, eight verses. As the readers are reading through, please see if you can follow that. Outlines are very helpful when we read the Word of God to determine what God is saying to us. It's a good thing to get a thought flow in the Word of God when we read. W- what does this verse have to do with this verse? And this verse have to do with this verse. So while you're reading, we'll have a little test when we're done to see who, uh, how, how many of us can get what, what the thought was there for the, this little outline. So let's have our readers first, James and then Isaiah. Fearful, let him sing songs. If anyone among you sick, let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your sins, or confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much seventeen. James chapter five, verses seventeen through twenty. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isaiah. OK, prayer for the suffering. Did we see that? Did We see that in the, in the few verses that we read. Uh, <coughs> If you're like me and you have the King James, it says afflicted, but it's the same word suffering in verse 10. Same Greek word. Remember the Bible, the New Testament, that is written in Greek. So it's the same word suffering. Did everybody see that? Little little thought there. Prayer for the suffering. Oh, by the way, that's the subject, prayer. It's mentioned underneath the text there. We can see that throughout the passage here of these eight verses. Okay, so there was prayer for the suffering. How, How about prayer for the sick? Did we see that? Did we see that prayer for the sick? I give you a hint. Verse 14. Is any sick among you? And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Okay, prayer for the sick. And then verse 16. Wow. When we get to there, it's just lovely how it ties in. I never saw it. Look forward to sharing that with you. And then prayer for the society. Now, here you'd have to do—you'd have to have a little Old Testament knowledge to know about prayer for the society, because it doesn't say anything specifically about the society. You'd have to go back to the story, which we will briefly in First in, in, in Kings 18 about. Or 17, how this man Elijah, all of a sudden he appears on the scene. Why? Because the society around him had corrupted. Hmm, sounds a lot like America, right? So we we see the society was crumbling around him, but he knew why. You know why? Because the Word of God said so. The Word of God said so, so he can go into the king and make an announcement. That's prayer for the society, 17 and 18. And lastly, prayer for the strain. Now, uh, if any of you do err or stray from the truth. And though the word prayer is not mentioned in those two verses, the whole context, I think, supports him because there's somebody like you or me that can go and convert him, bring him back, bring her back to the truth. We're going to look at that now. So we're going to look at the subject of prayer. But I just wanted to take this uh, one little slide to look at how did that come out like that? But anyway, the tongue in James, I think if you're familiar with the word of God. No, no pointer. If you're uh, familiar with the, the Word of God, the tongue is talked about in James especially. And it's not just chapter 3. But we're going to just, just look at uh, the whole of James. It's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a lot there from the very first chapter to the very last chapter of the tongue. We don't really have time. I had a little outline to look at that, but we won't do that. But uh just we want to focus on chapter five. That's what we're on today. The last section of chapter five. What does the Bible say about the proper use of the tongue? This little member in our body the, the, the chapter three talks about the rage of the tongue and the range of the tongue and and so forth. And we've got to beware of this little member that can cause a lot of damage. You know, they say sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's false. Because names do hurt. If we use our tongue in a false way, it shouldn't be like that. But in chapter 5, the proper use of the tongue is not complaining, right? Don't complain or grumble, verse 9, against one another. That is natural. Why, why she didn't even shake my hand. Well, he didn't do this. And he didn't give me the right, he messed up my order and so on. We have a problem, don't we? And don't think, don't think it's petty either. It is not petty to be a complainer and a murmurer. If you read the Word of God, you'll see how important it was when the children of Israel complained and murmured against each other and against the Lord. The Lord had to bring a plague on them. Don't use... I'm talking to myself too. Don't use my tongue. Don't use your tongue for complaining or swearing. Verse 12. If we looked at verse 12. Above all things, that's an interesting phrase. We've got time. We would look at that above all things. Don't swear, but it should be used for preaching, speaking the word of God. Verse 10, it should be used for praising. We looked at that. Uh, is any Mary? Let him sing songs and then praying. That's our subject. All right. So let's start with our little outline here. Uh, let's look at one one section at a time. Prayer for the suffering. Now, we because Job is in the context, we want to look at that just briefly But suffering, afflicted, those that are going through hardship, that is a natural thing in our lives, right? To face hardship, whether it's financial hardship, whether it's medical hardship, whether it's social hardship, whatever it may be, we face hardship. Is there any that are facing, having suffering times, hardship? What's the answer? Pray Now, what we could do, we just want to briefly, because Job is in the uh, context prior, we can just glean so much, and if we had time, we could spend much more. But uh, those of us that aren't familiar with the book of Job... You can see there that one of the purposes of the book of Job is why? Why do I have hard times? Or as the world might say, why do I have bad luck? Why is my car always breaking down? I had a friend that he would literally, literally, when this car quit in, in the middle of track, he would get out and he would beat on his hood. Why, God, are you doing this to me? He, that's, what, that's how he was. And, you know, we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to blame God for things. Well, why suffering? Well, you know, why hardship? Well, I happen to know, and you do too, that we sometimes voluntarily choose suffering to come into our life, right? When we go to the dentist. Ah, I remember when I was a child, right? Having to sit in that chair. What a nightmare it was. Ah, Your whole head's shaking. But it's because you want something good to come out of your mouth. You don't want that cavity, you know, ah, those black holes in your mouth. You don't want that. Right. So we choose. We choose to have surgery. Right. For, for whatever parts of our body so we can improve our physical health. Right. We choose suffering. But in our lives, when suffering or hardship comes in, suffering brings things into proper focus. Here I am busily working. I got to meet a deadline. Oh, this deadline is coming up. and All of a sudden I get a phone call. Your child's been in an accident. Whoa, it refocuses me, doesn't it? To what life is about. It's not all about deadlines and meeting demands of stress and all that. Well, we got to be careful. That's what stress uh, suffering does. But suffering makes us think of God. And, and we can see that it shakes us to the very core. Yet once more, I shake the earth. The Lord says in, in the book of Hebrews, you know, and all around, we can see the world shaking, right? Um, on every hand, whether the economic world, whether the political world, whether the social world, whether the world of health, whatever insurance, it's all shaking around about us. It's beginning to crumble. It is going to crumble. But blessed be God, we can have in the Savior the Rock who's never shakes, right? And so suffering oftentimes causes us to look to the Lord, and suffering purifies. Again, if we had a whole lot of time, we could look at James, uh, look at Job. Look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 25. For the thing, listen at this, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. Could that be a reason? Here was Job, merrily, 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 going down life stream. He had a bunch of children. He had a bunch of wealth. And all of a sudden, it's taken away. He has nothing. No more. Nothing. He had, but the thing, he said, which I greatly feared has come upon me. What was that that he feared? Maybe that's the way you and I, we have things in life, and and we don't want that to be taken away, but God may allow it. God may allow some horrible tragedy to come into your life or mine, and I can't do without it. But then I realize I can if I look to the Lord. You know, when it comes to suffering... Just let let me just think this is easy to talk about, not easy to practice. I understand that. But it's good to have the word of God to bring these things into view. When we finally get to the end of Job, listen to this. When it comes to suffering, listen to what Job said. Now, he spent a lot of his time complaining to God and to his friends. But he said, listen, when God revealed himself to him, he said, I abhor myself. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. If you trace Job through, he began to scrape himself when he found out about this problem. And he began, he was a burden to himself. And then in chapter 9, he justified himself. But now he could say, I abhor myself. You know why? You know why? Because the sight of the Lord brought a proper sight of self. And that's what we need. Sometimes, you know, we want to say, why can't I get out of this? It's not that. We shouldn't ask, why can't I get out of this? But what can I get out of it? Why is the Lord allowing this? And Job saw, it. he saw himself. He saw himself. So when they're suffering, what do we do? We pray. So that's that's just a little thought on prayer. When when we're going through these hard times, we look to the Lord. Oh, I got to share this verse. Got to share this verse. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but this was a shocker to me. Watch this in in Psalms. You just won't believe it. When when the uh, writer is is contemplating these very things. That come into our existence. Why? Why do they come in? These hard times. Now watch this. In in chapter number 60. Perhaps you've noticed it. I never noticed it. Listen to this. The psalm writer says this. Thou. You have showed your people hard times. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to me? That the living God, Jehovah, would show you, would show me hard times, hard times by divine design? Well, it's true. Thou has showed your people hard things. You have made us to drink the wine of confusion. Have you ever been in a situation? Why? I can't figure it out. I don't know why. I, I, I don't have a reason. God has shown it. Listen to that verse. Isn't that a remarkable? Thou hast shown thy people hard things. You have made us to drink the wine of astonishment or confusion. Potent potions prescribed by the great physician to purge evil. Is any suffering? Any hardship? Pray. Look to the Lord. And where do you find the answer? Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll grow grow, grow. How did that happen? Let's go on to prayer for the sick. Let's consider the context. I want to say at the the very outset here, we read the verses. It cannot be, according to the rest of Scripture, it cannot be a blanket formula for healing the sick. This is a specific situation. I believe we can prove it. A specific Circumstance that has led to this. Look at the verses again. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. The whole of the context here seems to indicate a matter of discipline. Perhaps even church discipline because The sick would normally be visited by the elders of the church and others. But here there is a a man that he's sick or a woman and she's sick and she has to call for the elders of the church. And they come and they do this act of of anointing with oil and praying over them in the name of the Lord. And the Lord shall raise him up. Now, I want to notice a couple of things here. A couple of different words for sick here. Any sick among you, verse 14. And verse 15, and the prayer of the sick, and the, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Two different Greek words. In verse 14, it's the common word for sickness or infirmity or impotence and so forth. But in verse 15, it's different. It's a uh, word not only to describe the sick... But also that that something weighty, something weighing on the individual's mind. And you can tell by the the, the passages here that he has, the the individual, the sick person has to call for the elder to the church. Come unto him. Perhaps this is put out because of a disciplinary reason we don't know. But sin is brought into it, right? If he has committed sins, he shall be, uh, they shall be forgiven him. And so what is it that saves? It's the Lord that raises up, but it's the prayer of faith as well. Now, again, that must be a specific known fact in the heart and mind of the elders the prayer of faith shall save the sick now sometimes when we pray perhaps perhaps most of the time we don't know what we should pray for as we ought right? Romans chapter 8 verse 26 we don't know what we should pray for as we ought but the Holy Spirit maketh intercession, praise the Lord the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us what? according to the will of God now that's who knows the will of God there must be, according to this verse, a time when the elders that come to anoint this person and pray for him. know specifically the will of God, perhaps akin to 1 John 5, that if we ask anything according to His will, if we ask anything... There's got to be that, that, that factor in here, that it is something intuitively known by the elders that come unto this person because he was put out for sickness and, and for sin, and this sickness has come upon him, and he realizes that the Lord has sent it here. Let me just pause and say this. Generally speaking, this is a general statement, but as we search the Scripture, we can conclude At least two reasons, perhaps more, that God allows sickness in the life of a believer in the Lord Jesus. Two reasons. Salutary and disciplinary. Salutary, that which is useful or beneficial. The Lord may allow sickness in your life and mine. Let's give an example. When the great Paul or the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh, it was plaguing him. And he prayed to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. Three times he prays to the Lord that this thorn in the flesh might be removed. But did the Lord take it away? No, the Lord did not take it away. And watch what he says. I besought the Lord that it might depart from me. And this is what the Lord's answer was. was, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now watch what he says. Most gladly. Therefore, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Now, think about that statement. Somebody that makes a statement like that either has to be out of their mind or trusting in the living God. I take pleasure in infirmities. If I have a sickness that has come upon me, like whatever his ailment was, he just took it from the Lord. That my grace is sufficient, my strength made perfect in weakness. I will rather glory in my infirmities. What an attitude you and I can take! But it's not only salutary, but it's disciplinary, right? If we had time, we can look at, we can turn to second, uh, First Corinthians chapter eleven. The saints in, in Corinth were naughty; they were not conducting their lives as they should. They were out of line with the character of God, with the character of a saint. And the Lord sent what sickness for this many of you are weak and sick and dying. The Lord does use sickness in disciplinary action. So those two reasons, salutary, disciplinary, you can see them both. But the whole context here seems to be that of discipline And when the elders are called and we thank the Lord, though, for his healing power, we praise the Lord. Do we not for oil and for elders and for doctors? All of these have something to do in our healing process. But we understand that the Lord shall raise him up. I have a quote here from Ambrose Paré, who was the father of surgery. And he says this, I dress the wounds, but the Lord heals the patient. You know, sometimes when it comes to things like this. We want our will to be done. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. But praying is not getting our will done on earth, but it's getting the uh, God's will done in heaven. And that's what we want when we, when we come to something like this. It seems that the elders knew they had an intuitive knowledge that there was something going on here that led to the sickness. And now verse 16. New to me. Make confession custom. If you have the King James Bible like I do, you don't see the therefore there. But the word is most in most other translations and literally translated. It's this confess your faults. Therefore be confessing. Now, what is this talking about? In the assembly of God's people, in the family of God, there should be an openness, a confession before others. To who? Go to the priest. You go behind some little black screen. Blah, 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 blah. You, know, I, you know, you better watch out with religion. Right. Because you have you have, you know, religion says, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, you come to me and I'll I'll grant you uh, uh, forgiveness. Well, that's not so. We know that that's not so. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But we want that in religion. We want to go in, some of us, and have a box that we can, a dark box that we can confess to somebody we can't see behind a screen. That is not the word of God. That's religion speaking. But what does it say? Not only in another passage, confess to the Lord, but confess one to another. I'm not much of a TV watcher, but what I see sometimes is you can watch TV in HD, high definition. Now, I don't know if that means you can see every freckle and pimple and gray hair. I don't know if that's what that means, but I do know that my life and yours should be lived in high definition before the Lord and before others. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you be healed. If, it would have, if that would have been happening, here's the point. If that would have been happening, perhaps it wouldn't have got this far. Think about it. Be confessing. Therefore, confess your sins. You know what we do naturally? When we have a problem, when we have something we're fighting, we clam up. Mom's a word. I'm going through a rough time. I don't want to tell anybody. Because I'm a man. I'm a woman. I got strong. I'm straight. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Healing is before that actual sickness that came on that person. Live your life in high definition. Be open. Paul said this. You have fully known my manner of life to Timothy. You've fully known it. I'm like an open book. But what, you know, what we do in life is we go about our business. Just clam. It is better. Says the word of God. To be open with one another and be confessing if I'm struggling with my appetite, if I'm struggling with my health, if I'm struggling with my finances. Confess your faults one to another, whatever the area may be, and that you may be healed. Pray. Prayer is the answer. Okay. That's the second point. The third point. Prayer for the society. Let me just briefly say that if we wanted to look at that scripture, Elijah Remember, he's a man. Oh, I want to tell you this. Sometimes you read about these characters in the word of God and we put them way up on a pedestal. Right? Oh, Abraham, the man of faith. Oh, Elijah. Oh, look what he did. called down fire. Great man. Well, listen. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as you and me. But you know what he did? He knew the word of God and he looked around in his society, the idolatry, how they far they had gotten from the living God. And God had promised Deuteronomy, we could look at it if we had time. God had promised that if that happens, he's going to send, he's going to withhold the rain, he's going to cause famine. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, all of a sudden, Elijah, that's the first time you ever read of it, Elijah, the Tishbite appears. You never read of him before that. But he marches right into King Ahab and he says, the Lord before whom I stand, well, there will no, be no rain until I say. Was that because he had some magic trick up his sleeve? No, because he stood before the living God praying according to the word of God. How did he pray? We'll end it with that, that third section. How did he pray? Something that I, you, all of us need to practice and learn fervently. He prayed earnestly. He prayed fervently. The effectual, it says in the verse prior, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Sometimes, you know, when some instant comes up, we say, well, there's only so much we can do. But there is much we can do. We can pray earnestly. And I can look around just like Elijah and I can see the circumstances in my nation. I can see the circumstances in Christendom and I can respond to the word of God. That is what Nehemiah did. Remember, in, in Nehemiah chapter one, he confessed He was although he himself was not in that, 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 that realm of people, that, that, that character of people, he confessed before the living God what was happening and, 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 and something came about. So Elijah was a man subject to like passions, but how did he pray? He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And so we can be respond to the word of God, knowing his word and pray accordingly. And lastly, prayer for the straying. Now, this is our last point. Time is gone. But I just want to say this, a few things. Brethren, this is mentioned to you, to me, that know the Lord Jesus as Savior. It is possible for a saint to stray from the truth. And he needs, he or she needs, conversion. What? I thought I was already converted. I was converted when I was five years old. Listen to the words of Peter. Or the words of the Lord to Peter. Simon. Simon. Satan has desired to have you. That he may sift you as wheat. Nevertheless I have prayed for you. could you imagine. The Lord praying for a human being. He does it now. Nevertheless I have prayed for you. And when you are converted. Strengthen your brethren. You see a saint, a child of God can stray from the truth. So it's your job and mine as children of God. If I'm looking around in my family of God and I see somebody that says I'm a brother and he is following, he's straying from the truth. You know, it's easy to do. It's easy to do. And I'll tell you why. Spiritual reasoning, natural reasoning. When I get away from the word of God, all of a sudden natural reasoning kicks in. Hey, you know, I think it should be this way and I think it should be this way and and, and, and you know that's that's not the way I am I, I I'm built this way Oh we need a renewed mind when it comes To our living in this world. So if I look around and I see someone that's straying from the truth, some action, some uh, doctrine, some uh, uh, manner of their life, I want to try as as, as I can to go reach out and, and bring them back just like the Lord himself could go. Bring back the straying sheep. Ninety and nine safely in the fold, but one strayed, and he went out and he sought them. And so you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we watch out. If any of you do stray from the truth, you've gone astray, you've wondered. The first time it was used, it's used as like a sheep going astray in the New Testament. And, and, it, and it's used in the, in, in the very first chapter of, 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 of this book as well. Do not err. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So it, it starts with straying and it ends with straying. So we want to be careful and watch for ourselves first. Take heed to yourself. Paul said to Timothy, but what about my brother and sister? If they're not growing, if I see a brother or sister that has no interest in the word of God, no interest in the things of God, it's it's akin to what we heard last Sunday night. I forget who said it. It's one thing to see a baby in diapers with food all over their face. But when you see a, a, a person that's 30, 40, 50 years old, that same condition, you say, what's going on here? There's certainly a problem. But it's the same thing in the Christian experience. If we're not growing, if we're not advancing, grow in the grace and knowledge. If we're not doing that. We're sick. We're straying from the truth. There's many examples in the word of God. Of those that have strayed from the truth. And, you know, Christendom professing Christian world in which we live, especially in the United States of America. They can gather in their large churches and clap and sing and all this, but Christ is not in their hearts. There's no growing. There's no relationship. But we want, now. we don't want to be like that. We want to be growing in the grace of knowledge. We want to be as we heard. We have so much time, don't we, for other things, but no time for the Word of God. So let's dot straight from the truth. Not wander far away, but bring them back. For if you do so, you shall save a soul from perhaps premature death and hide a multitude of sins. And so that closes our chapter uh, or closes the book, actually, of James. There's many valuable lessons here regarding prayer, prayer for the suffering. If I am going through a time of hardship, if I am going through a time of sickness, if I, if I see the society around me that is falling apart, what do I do? When I get into the lunchroom with the guys and the girls, do I start complaining about the president and about the, the Senate and the governor and all that? Do I? Or do I follow what the Word of God says and pray for those that are authority over us that we may live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and unity? I... My part is to pray. Pray for the society and pray for the straying that may have wandered from the truth. And that closes James. And I trust these lessons have been of help to you. They've been of help to me as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Our Father, we're thankful (coughs) this morning for these valuable lessons in the book of the epistle, the letter to James, by James. And we just pray that the things that the Holy Spirit has brought to our heart's attention this morning may be put into practice. James is the one that declares to us that we're not just to be a hearer, but a doer. And we confess, Lord, that we're so good at that. We are professional hearers. I remember those in Ezekiel's day that came to Ezekiel and they said, oh, Ezekiel. Your voice of preaching is so lovely. It's like a lovely song that they went away unchanged. We don't want that this morning, O God. We want to be changed by Your Word, especially when it comes to the fact that James brought to our attention. Be confessing. Be open before others. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we thank you this morning for the living word of God. Blessed to our hearts, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.